2 Timothy chapter 2, a couple weeks ago I talked, I don't think it was last Wednesday, I talked about a call to holiness. And just living a holy life for the Lord. How many remember what holiness is? Being separate. Being apart from the world. Not being in the world. We are, we're, we're in the world, but not of it. We live in this world, but we're not of the world. Amen? And uh, we're, we're a peculiar people, the Bible says. And I want to show you 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses again that we read last uh, a couple weeks ago and then show you some new stuff. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the, fa- the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. How many believe that tonight? The Lord knows who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And, and as we continue, just a second to read that, how many know it's not being judgmental, it's being real that a lot of people today name the name of Christ but don't depart from iniquity. There's really no change in their lifestyle. There's got to be something that makes us different. We can't act, walk, talk, look, and be like the world and say we're Christians. And that's what the Bible's saying here. And so he's saying, whoever names the name of Christ, depart. That means that's, that's something on us. Depart is something we have to do. We have to move ourselves away from iniquity. Amen? Then it says, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. And here's the key verse I really want you to see. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So I want to know again, how many tonight want to be a useful vessel of honor? Amen. You want to be useful for God. So I believe that every single one of us want to be, and we're going to look in just a second, if you'll go ahead and go there, um, to First Peter chapter 1. And as you're getting there, I'm going to read a verse that you don't have to go to. Isaiah is the verse that we talked about at prayer right now when it said that the angels called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His, the whole earth is full of his glory. When the Bible says something three times, it's a great emphasis. Okay, it's a great emphasis. I'm not going to go back into that tonight, um, but it's, it's off the charts important when something's mentioned three times. And so the Bible says that God is holy 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 how many believe that and know that he's holy 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 to the billionth power amen he does not know what sin is and then we read first peter chapter one and this gives us an understanding that he expects us to also to do something it says in verse 13 are you there first peter chapter one therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as is in your ignorance but as he who called you is holy now watch this as he who called we already know God's holy but says as he who has called you is holy he says you also be holy y'all seen that be holy so he says I'm holy but I'm not letting you off the hook. I want you to be holy too. You be holy as well in all of your what? Conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And we went over the last couple weeks that conduct was the way we behave. Everybody knows what that word means. That's how we behave. So he's saying in our behavior, in our talk, in our walk, in our actions, we need to be holy. 
We need to be like Jesus. Are we going to fail in that? Of course. Are we going to fall short? Of course. But that doesn't mean we don't try. We have a standard that's so high we honestly cannot reach it, but God wants us to try. So he's asking us to be holy. He's asking us to separate ourselves from the world. Now I want to get into something new tonight. I ended last time um, reading the verse that's really been in my spirit for really strong the last few weeks that it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Amen. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so we know that if Jesus doesn't come down from heaven and he doesn't die and he doesn't give his life, we don't have a chance to be righteous. Why? Because the Bible says that our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. So if we try to be righteous ourselves without Jesus, without the cross, it's like that guy who was doing that uh, paper for school and did a great job on it, but he was on the wrong subject. You do a great job on a science project, but if you turn it into English, you're going to get an F. You're going to get a zero, incomplete. And a lot of people are doing works. They're doing things to be saved, to, to be in good standing for God, but they're not using the cross. They're not using the blood of Jesus. Our, our holiness comes and our conduct comes from an understanding that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So a lot of people would hear that and they would say, okay, there you go. He is, he is my righteousness. And they'll, they'll, they'll push that, he is my righteousness. And they almost dangerously can say it to a point where we, we put it all on God and God doesn't expect anything from us. He is my righteousness. Okay, but let's look at what Paul says in Romans. If you'll go there, chapter 6. I want to show you that God does not let us off the hook because he is our righteousness. He wants us to strive as Hebrews 12 says, go to Romans 6, but remember Hebrews 12 says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which, without which no one will see God. Amen? So he's asking us to strive for holiness. He's asking us to strive to be at peace with everyone. Amen? So Romans 6 says this, verse 1. Paul says, hypothetically and almost sarcastically, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He asked that question. He says, you know, if we're saved by grace, then we should just sin so we can really use that grace. And shall we sin that way? And he's asking that hypothetical question. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what does he say in verse 2? Certainly not. Because he says this, How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it when we really begin to understand what jesus has done for us we understand that we should not be doing and thinking and having the same life that we had before because we are our new creations and our minds are christ and our minds are clean and our minds are holy and we're we're striving to to make right decisions that's something that's on us amen god expects us to make godly decisions i'm gonna read you a few verses tonight psalms 24 verse 3 and 4 says who shall ascend to the hill of the lord and who shall stand in his holy place now i want to stop there for a second and ask you the question again what is our ultimate goal what is our ultimate goal as believers but what personally is our ultimate goal 
make it to heaven, right? We want to go to heaven. We want to be with God. We, that, I mean, individually, personally, we want to go to heaven. We want to stand before God as our Savior and not as our judge. And that's our first and foremost goal. Then, as it was said, getting other people saved is right behind that. We want people to be there with us, but I've got to get there myself. You know, there might be a lot of people leading people to the Lord and they ain't going to make it themselves because they're telling people what to do, but they're not doing it. And so it's important that I have a personal understanding. I want to stand before God on his holy hill and I want to ascend into his holy hill. So he's asking that question, David is, who shall ascend? He says, let's see who it is that's going to be there. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And the next verse says it, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. We've been talking about the heart a lot. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And look at this who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Remember that Jeremiah tells us that the heart is the most deceitful thing on the world, in the world. Our heart is very deceitful. So we have to keep our heart in check. We have to keep our heart in God's hands, moldable. Amen. We talked Sunday twice, morning and night, about Ezekiel 36 and that God would put his spirit in us and that he would take our heart of stone and he would pull it out and he would put in a heart of flesh. Heart of flesh means a heart that is teachable, heart that's moldable, a heart that's open, a heart that has compassion, like we said Sunday, for the lost. Amen? And so he says, those who have a clean heart and those who do not lift up their soul and swear deceitfully. So the psalmist comes right out and asks two questions. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be standing in his presence? It's only those whose hands are clean and hearts are pure. Now, the only way we can be clean is by asking for forgiveness. Okay, we have to be, and this is something we got to understand. I think some people erroneously think, okay, I said, a, I said a prayer at an altar and I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart and I said at that altar, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And they think that's the last time they ever have to ask for forgiveness. That's not the, that's not the case. We have to do it every day. We have to, you don't take a shower once. You don't eat once. You have to take a shower every day, hopefully. You can get that dirt off you and stay clean, amen? You, you, can't, you can't do it once and be good. You gotta continually clean your heart because how I many know we live in a real world with a lot of junk? And you gotta keep that junk off of your heart and you gotta keep that junk off of your spirit. So 1 John 1, 9, one of the most common verses we know in the Bible is how we stay clean. If we confess. See how it says if? He didn't say, if you have sins. He says, if we confess our sins. We already know we have sins. So that means if he says, if, what does that mean if we don't confess them? That if means we have to confess them. So if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the way that we stand with holy clean hearts and clean hands is by asking for forgiveness how many know the best way to live your life is not even to wait till the end of the day when you make a mistake how many know the holy spirit convicts you and at that moment you can say lord i'm sorry for that i just had a bad thought i'm sorry i confess i just had a bad thought i just got angry i just and confess it right there and ask for forgiveness right then because if you don't Another one's going to come along, and another one might come along, and you might get calloused. 
You might go two or three days without asking God to forgive you for your sins. And that's not keeping your heart clean. Amen. So listen, confession not only gives us clean hands and a pure heart, but it cleanses us for all unrighteousness. And then we can ascend up to the hill of the Lord and stand in his presence. Because remember, God can't look at sin. We can try to come into his presence and hang out with him. But if we've got unconfessed sin in our life, he can't look at us. He can't look on sin. But when I say, Lord, forgive me for that sin, he says, okay, now I see you because I see the blood. I see the blood. I see the blood. And when he sees the blood, he can see us. Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel real quick. Chapter 39. I don't hear any Bibles moving at all. Give me just one. There we go. Ezekiel 39. Verse 7. Shout amen when you're there. Just going to give an example tonight. Of course, there's many, many examples we could use in our walk, but how many know our mouths can get us in trouble? And one of the worst things we can do with our mouths, Ezekiel 39 is going to tell us. He says in verse 7, Ezekiel 39, verse 7, and my holy name, I will make known in the midst of my people Israel and I will not let my holy name be profaned anymore. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Church, when people use the word God in vain, it's a dangerous thing. It's not hard to do. It's easy to say the word. And even in our culture, we have to catch ourselves. We can catch ourselves even saying, oh my God. We can catch ourselves using that word because it's culture, and because it's said so much. We've got to understand that that name is holy. That name is the name above every name. I gave the example a couple weeks ago. I hear these guys in the court, and I mean, cussing's bad, but when I hear them say, gee, it just makes my blood boil I can't stand it. I don't understand. They don't understand. They're cursing themselves. They're taking that name. And I think to myself, how foolish is this? These guys are out here with the blessing of being able to run and breathe. The breath and, and ability they have is from God, and they're sitting there cursing him every other play. This is a serious thing when you take the name of the Lord in vain. It's a serious thing. And so it says, my name will not be profaned anymore. And remember that, that Matthew tells us that every idle word that we speak will be brought against us for our justification or for our condemnation. So one of the most tragic things we can do, and this is just an example tonight, is to, to hear or say, sorry, that name that is profaning the most holy name. Of course, we know that that's the fourth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Amen? You know what it says after that? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, if you've ever taken the Lord's name in vain, thank God you can ask for forgiveness. But if you don't ask for forgiveness, that thing is going to be held there and it's going to be against you and that's one thing you don't want to mess with because the Bible says his name is holy. Amen? So how many know that's a very serious warning that goes unheeded a lot? I mean, the world does it all the time, but it's, it's something that they're going to have to pay the fiddler for. They're going to have to answer. So 
tonight, before we close, I'm going to go to the last verse. Just think about that. Really be careful how you use the name of the Lord. Amen. Really be careful about how you really, really take it, make it as precious and be careful with, with the, the honor that we have when we use that name. Amen. Let's go to second Corinthians chapter six to close final verse tonight. I want to talk about something in the new Testament that's really important. And this is something that new believers really, really have to learn and, and really begin to, um, battle with when they get saved and Really, when you, this is really something I could even say is really something that separates the men from the boys, so to speak, or the ladies from the girls when it comes to walking with God. And we're going to see it right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. When, when people begin to get saved and they um, have old friends and everybody in here of, of us was 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 that person we all got saved at one point we began to have to understand that God says now listen I know you're in this world but I need you to not hang out or be uh, uh, friends now with those who are you are unequally yoked with I need you to begin to uh, uh, ha- you can have a relationship with them you can talk to them doesn't mean you ex- you know ex- exile them out of your life and you say I can't talk to you no more but you don't go hang out with them like you used to and you begin to cut off friends and you begin to uh, look at who your true friends are and you begin to realize I can't I can't go around those people anymore because when I go around those people spirits come back and when I go around those people I begin you know you don't even do it on purpose but you begin to get around those people you begin to think like you used to think you begin to talk like you used to talk you begin to say things you used to say you begin to think things you used to think that maybe if they've got some kind of music on this brings back some kind of memory there's all kinds of dangerous things that can begin to happen when you begin to hang around people that are not equally yoked unbelievers now look what it says let's go on to read some more for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And last verse, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them. Remember, Jesus' spirit dwells in us and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And sorry, I had another verse. Watch this. This is, this is the most powerful part. What does God tell us to do as believers? Verse 17, come out from among them, and this is what holiness means, and be what? Separate, says the Lord. Come out from them and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Somebody say amen tonight. This is what God's called us to do. He's called us to come out. He's called us to be different. And we know today, church, that in general speaking terms, today the church is more like the world than the world is like the church. Now, this is not a legalism thing where, we, again, we get into just what people call, call holiness is all about clothes. That's what pe- people go one extreme to the other. But we need to be different. People need to look at our lives, not just us here in the church service. They need to look at our lives and say there's something different about you. 
there's something about you that I don't have. There's something about you that I want. How many know that that's what really sets us apart? When they begin to look at your life, they begin to say, you're, you don't, you're not the way you used to be. You're not, you're not, you're not the way I, I, I thought you were. Something's changed. They should notice a change, and then they should want to say, how can I be like you? Instead of them thinking, wow, they're just like me. Because when you're just like them, why would they want to change? If there's no difference between you and them, why would they want to be different? Why would they, why would they say, I need Jesus, if they look at you and they say, well, we're the same. We talk the same, we act the same, we do the same things. What's the difference between me and you? We need to be different. So that they say, I want what you have. And you can say, it's Jesus. Amen. Last verse. Musicians, you can come. Verse 1 of chapter 7. I want you to really focus on this last verse. Therefore, having the promises, these promises, beloved. How many know that God has so many promises for us? How many know the Bible says his promises are yes and amen? I mean, we, we, we need to focus more on his promises. And it says, having these promises, beloved... Act however you feel like you should act. Live however you feel like you should live. Go wherever you think you should go. Do whatever feels good. Is that what yours says? Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. See, we have the cross, and we have the blood, and we have our faith in Jesus, but he says, cleanse yourselves. Make yourselves clean from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Your walk tonight, especially you new believer, is a walk of balance. It means that I... I have a confidence in Jesus that he died for me and he rose from the dead and he loves me and he saved me and he wants to spend eternity with me. But I also have a holy fear that he is God. So I work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I work out my salvation as this says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so it's a two-part thing. He's holy he wants me to be holy. He's holy. He's powerful. And he says, I have cleansed you. I have washed you. But I need you to cleanse yourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Remember, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. That means when I'm tempted to do something, say something, see something, hear something, think something, at that moment, I have a choice. Give in or say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Don't give in to it. That's a choice you have. It's self-control to say, I'm not going to give in to that. I am going to cleanse myself. I'm going to walk away from this. When you're at work and someone begins to tell a joke that's not clean, that's, that's horrible, that's bad, that's perverse, if you sit there and listen to it, you're just as bad as they are. Get up and walk away. Make a statement. Be bold enough to say, you know what? Who cares if they mock you? 
I mean, it's the kind of stuff that God's looking for, for us to be separate. You know, people are dying all over the world for their faith because they're not afraid to stand up for Jesus. We need to stand up when someone's doing something wrong. We need to do our very best. Again, there's going to be times we fail. But let's let those times be far and few in between. Because you know what? I've found over the years, people respect us when we stand up for something that's right. They stay respected. Amen?